Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Meet the kids from suburbia. There's Jack. Wake up and smell the coffee, man. Sheila. Staff's in my scars already. Joe. That could be there all your life. And Ethan. I feel kind of scared. You'll love him. Or hate him. Metal rejects running wild in our streets. Their music. We're talking about kids. Kids are like yours and mine. Well, I'm damn sure they aren't my kids. Their home. This is the best home any of us ever had. Besides, if we didn't have each other, we wouldn't have anything. And nobody's gonna take it away from them. You shut up! You molested your own daughter, you scumbag! A new movie about a new generation. Suburbia. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Suburbia. From either 1983 or 1984, I can never get a straight answer in my research. The studio was New World Pictures, which was founded by the great Roger Corman in 1970. The release date, well, I think... It says April 13th, 1984, at least in New York. But this is uh, the epitome of a cult classic. I think most people found this either through home video rental or cable. The running time, 94 minutes, and the rating of R. The budget, half a million dollars. And the box office, no clue. Rotten Tomatoes actually gives it 92% fresh from 13 reviews. Roger Ebert didn't do a review because this is a very small film. But Vincent Canby from the New York Times did at the time, and here's his review. Between its alarming, though not especially pertinent pre-credit sequence and its apocalyptic finale, Penelope Spears' Suburbia is a clear-eyed, compassionate melodrama about a bunch of young dropouts who call themselves the Rejected, or for short, the TRs. Suburbia was written as well as directed by Miss Spears, the talented young woman who produced the Albert Brooks comedy Real Life, and then made a highly regarded documentary, The Decline of Western Civilization, about Los Angeles' punk rock scene. Her new film is probably the best Teenagers in Revolt movie since Jonathan Kaplan's Over the Edge. It's far better than Francis Ford Coppola's Outsiders and Rumblefish, having none of the ersatz poetry that was poured like maple syrup over the two Coppola movies. Suburbia is at its best when it's simply observing the randomness of the lives of its young people watching them at aggressive play in a punk rock club, or stealing food from suburban freezers, or just sitting around in the garbage of their beloved pad. The performances by the non-professional young actors are self-conscious and completely believable. 
In this sort of film, unfortunately, a plot is obligatory. Though Miss Ferris's plot is not particularly far-fetched, it is contrived, and its orderliness seems alien to the documentary-like, aimlessness reality of everything else. The plot gives shape to the movie, but in doing that, it also undercuts the film's more serious intentions. Suburbia is a good genre film. And that's the end of Camby's review. So as Vincent Camby mentioned, Suburbia is almost like a dramatized sequel to Spears' first film, which was the great documentary, The Decline of Western Civilization. That film from 1981 was a groundbreaking experience because it showcased all the early Los Angeles punk scene with live footage and interviews from bands like Black Flag and Fear, The Germs, X, and The Circle Jerks. You will never see a more raw account of the early days of punk and is a must-own for old-school punk fans or for those just looking to get into the genre. So even though Suburbia is not a documentary, it certainly has that vibe in many ways, as we will discuss throughout this episode. Let's get into the main cast. Well, normally I would go through the main stars of a film, but with the exception of one person, the vast majority of the cast were not actors, and this would be their only film credit. The person that truly gained fame after this film was not because of movie stardom, but music, and that would be Flea who is best known as the bass player of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He plays Razzle in Suburbia, and he's as crazy as you would think. He's definitely a standout character in the film, and told the other actors while filming this that he had just joined a new band, which of course was the Chili Peppers. As mentioned, the director and screenwriter was Penelope Spiris, and I mentioned her first documentary, but the other two volumes of The Decline of Western Civilization are excellent in completely different ways. The second film, which came out in 1988, is the most famous of the three because it covers the heavy metal and glam scene of the late 1980s. Everything from seeing Wasp guitarist Chris Holm completely out of his mind drunk while sitting fully clothed on a raft in a pool while his mother watches, <laughs> to seeing Ozzy Osbourne making eggs for breakfast. It's completely hilarious and cringe-inducing at the same time, especially if you're a fan of the genre. Now, the third film from 1998 is mostly unknown, because it never really received a wide release or was promoted heavily as the first two films. The actual music sort of takes a backseat to the compelling story of the so-called gutter punks from Los Angeles. Basically, these are homeless teenagers who decide to live a true punk rock lifestyle. The film is definitely the most raw and real of the trilogy. If anything, that film is the natural sequel to Suburbia in many ways. And Spiros kind of saw this coming 15 years earlier when she made Suburbia. Now, most mainstream viewers would eventually discover Penelope Spiros in 1992 because she directed the original Wayne's World. She even said she sold out. But hey, everyone's got to make a living. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So Spiros said she wanted real punk rock kids instead of actors from the very start. She said it was much easier to turn a punk rock kid into an actor than an actor into a punk rock kid. And these kids learned their lines and hit their marks consistently, much to the delight of Spiros. Many of the kids were found at punk shows, while Jennifer Clay, who plays Sheila, was spotted by Spiros at a Public Image Limited show. Of course, Johnny Rotten's band. Spiros had written the script and it was half-financed by Burt Dragon, and then Roger Corman agreed because he liked to be involved in films that were already partly financed by someone else so that the entire responsibility wasn't all on him. Spiros said she was absolutely thrilled and grateful to Corman that she had the opportunity to make her film the way she envisioned. Now, she had to fight to keep the title Suburbia, since Dragon and Corman weren't sure kids would get the ironic reference. The other title that was considered was The Wild Side. So they went to a mall and they surveyed kids, and Suburbia won out in the end, obviously. 
Now, Spears joked that one of Roger Corman's tips about directing when he was on set for the few times during the shooting was to sit down as much as you can and have a good chair to sit in. Spears didn't understand initially because she was full of all this youthful energy, but after 15 and 16 hours on set shooting standing around, she fully understood. The other tip from Corman was to have a fight or chase scene every 10 minutes. Nudity was also usually a key thing for Corman films as well, and Suburbia definitely has both. The main premise of the film, and Spiris feels the same is true today, is that the kids who weren't brought up in a decent home will eventually gravitate towards others with the same experience as them, and will leave the negative home life to go out on their own, even if on their own is worse, because at least they are now in control of their own life. Alright, let's get into the film. So, the film begins with no opening credits. It's definitely a low-budget film, but that is the charm of it. A teenage girl named Sheila is hitchhiking on the freeway, and she's picked up by a station wagon driven by a woman who also has a baby next to her. They drive a bit before one of the back tires of the car blows out, and then they pull over to the side of the freeway. <laughs> it's interesting to see how car safety has changed, and this is 1983, by the way. The mother had her infant in a car seat. But not in the back seat, in the front seat. Times have changed. Anyway, Sheila and the woman find a payphone. And the woman makes a call and hands the baby to Sheila, who holds its hand. And then, all of a sudden, a Doberman Pinscher appears, who is not friendly. And after the baby starts to cry, the dog races at the child and mauls the kid. <laughs> yes, this is how the film starts, and the dark tone does not change for the entirety of the film. Interestingly enough, the dog mauling scene was based on a real newspaper article that Penelope Spears read at the time about a guard dog kennel that was abandoned and the dogs were let free to roam around. And she also read about other incidents where children were attacked by dogs. So, as shocking as this opening scene is, things like this really happened. We then cut to the suburban home of Evan, a teenager who lives with his alcoholic mother and little brother. And as you will hear, Evan's mom sounds like a load of fun. Mom, any more groceries out in the car? No. Couldn't afford any more groceries. How come you're so late? Stop by for a couple of drinks with someone from work. Any objections? No, I was just wondering. Evan! What? Don't scream like that. I marked this label, you know. You did what? I said I marked it. And that was a hell of a lot less than where I marked. Well, I didn't drink it. You're lying to me. I swear to God, it must have been you. Breathe on me. Oh, come on. Come Mom. on, breathe on me. Mom, I forgot. I'm sorry. Pull it! Don't tell me to pull it! God damn it! I'm the one who works all day so you can sit on your ass and read comic books! You make me sick when you look like that. I see your father in you. Makes me sick. Well, that's not my fault. I didn't choose him to be my father. You did. Yeah, that was the biggest mistake I ever made. Spiris said she modeled Evan's mother after her own mom. The vodka bottle and the eventual throwing of the bottle at Evan's head really happened to Spiris. So instead of living with that bundle of joy, Evan decides to leave home. His younger brother is upset he's leaving, probably knowing that he'll get the wrath of the mom now. Where are you going? 
I'm going away for a while. Mom's having a hard time right now. But I don't want you to go anywhere. It's okay, then it's for the best. She'll do better if she only has one kid to take care of. You understand. But where are you gonna go? I don't know. I'll find somewhere. Just don't worry about it. I'll call you up sometime, okay? Now, the score is a bit hypnotizing and creepy, and I think it's great, and it's perfect for the film, and it was created by Alex Gibson. It's got kind of an indie 80s vibe to it, which of course makes sense. You will hear a similar theme throughout the film during the montages or the scene interludes. Evan ends up in downtown Los Angeles, and he goes to a club where the punk band D.I. is performing the song Richard Hung Himself, and fans of the band Slayer might know this song because they covered it on their Undisputed Attitude covers album. And this is where, if you're a fan of Spirits' early work and, and the documentary The Decline of Western Civilization Part 1, The Punk Years, you will see a lot of that style in this club scene. It doesn't really feel staged at all. It's, it's a real show. In a disturbing scene that goes on way too long, and Spirits now agrees, an attractive girl in the crowd is watching the show, and a guy goes up to her and propositions her, which she tells him to get lost and pushes him away. He decides, instead of moving along, to rip her clothes completely off and is joined in by the crowd, and the girl is left standing screaming in the middle of the crowd completely nude, and nobody's bothering to help her. And finally, the band realizes what is going on, and they stop the show. melee evan has his drink drugged without him even knowing it and once the crowd clears we find him lying passed out in a puddle of puke on the floor one of the security guys picks up evan carries him outside and then leaves him on the grass near the club another teen named jack sees evan passed out and offers him a ride they end up sleeping in jack's car in the parking lot and we discover that jack is part of a gang of sorts called tr the rejected and he lives with a bunch of runaway teens in an abandoned house Jack and the TRs aren't too fond of the police as they're always being hassled by them. Jack explains a bit about his home life. 
my old man's cop, my stepdad. My real father ate in Vietnam. My mom got married again. God, your stepdad's a cop. Yeah, that's not the worst of it, though. It's black. Black cop. What a drag. Yeah, he came out to TR one time to check it out. Told everyone he was my father. They laughed him right out the door. Parents are so lame. What's that? Uh, my mom's diary. Listen to this. May 10th, 1968. Dear diary, Mark and I are going to be very happy here. The air is clean, skies are blue, and all the houses are brand new and beautiful. They call it suburbia, and that word's perfect because it's a combination of the words suburb and utopia. They didn't realize they'd be the slums of the future. I'm sure with Mark's job at Lockheed, I'll never have to work again. <laughs> wish. Oh, and by the way, Dari, we want to have a child soon. Suburbia is a great place for children. <laughs> and if it's a boy, we're going to name him Evan Mark Johnson. You know, sometimes I wish he would have had an abortion. Oh, yeah? You're illegal in those days. Jack and Evan pick up Joe, who decides to move out of his dad's apartment. Joe's bedroom also has a movie poster of the decline of Western civilization on his door. Nice little touch there. We also get some backstory about the dogs from the beginning of the film. Hey, look at those dogs over there. Yeah, they're kind of nasty. You gotta watch out for them. I heard they killed a little kid out here the other day. No shit. Where'd they come from? Well, I heard that when people were forced to move from their houses and someone left their dogs behind and coyotes came down from the hills and fucked them. After a while, wild dogs. Jeez, that's pretty amazing. Where'd you hear that from? There's the welcoming committee. Go up your windows. Shit, I'm stuck. Oh my god! Flea <laughs> bags. Razzle, one of the guys at the house, captured a couple of them. He thinks he can train them, but we think he's a little bit tweaked. So the guys arrive at the TR house, which is as disgusting as you can imagine. There's, you know, a group of gutter punk kids all living in a home. They're all teenagers. There's roaches calling around, and, and there's open containers of food. And then we see the girl Sheila from the beginning of the film living in the house and having her long blonde hair chopped off by another girl. We also see Razzle, that is Flea, who has his pet rat always on his shoulder. Part of the initiation of being in the TRs is to have the letters TR branded or burned into your skin. Joe initially wants no part of this and bails. Evan decides to go through with it since he's got no other place to go. Joe eventually returns to the TR house when his father and his father's boyfriend don't let him back into the house. It is then Joe decides to brand himself. He also talks briefly to Sheila, who said she didn't hesitate to brand herself. Joe asks her why, and Sheila shows Joe her back, which is covered in giant scars, so we can only assume that she was physically abused before she ran away. Spiris actually said she has similar scars as well from her seven stepfathers. So yes, this film came from a real place. 
Everyone is woken up the next morning by the sound of gunshots as a group of uh, local residents are shooting the stray dogs around town. Razzle and Skinner decide to save the two dogs they try to train as their pets. Before the trouble really starts, two officers show up to confront the men shooting. One of the officers is Bill Rennard, Jack's stepfather. What's the occasion? We're just out here doing our Good Samaritan work for the day. Did you hear about the little boy that got killed by the dogs out here? We heard about it. Hey, we got a little one over here. Goddamn gun. Well, little ones grow up to be big ones, you You know? got papers for these guns? Uh, officer, we're from Citizens Against Crime. Uh, most citizens are against crime, sir. The question was, do you have papers for the guns? Guns are all registered. Jim Triplett? Bob Stokes? Yes, sir. You know it's against the law to use firearms inside the city limits, don't you? Yes, sir, we sure do, but uh, this side of the street's county property. Well, maybe if we decide to come back again, we should inform the department. Uh, Officer uh, Renard. Maybe you should. Well, I know what you're probably thinking. You just don't like private citizens doing your work for you. You're right. By the way, officer, is, uh, is that legal inside of city limits? The hell? Hey, maybe we should look into that. No, that's our job. We'll handle it. Got a big kick out of shooting that dog, didn't I? Yeah, it's kind of fun. Fuck. You know, that car looks awfully familiar. Maybe we should run a make on it. It should. That's the car I gave my son Jack last year when I bought my new one. Sure looks like he's fucked it. Son of a bitch, that is your old Ford. Come on, let's go check the place out. No, I'm more worried about our vigilante sharpshooters than I am about a bunch of teenagers in a crash pad. The unfortunate part about all of this is that Jack's stepfather is actually a really good guy who is just trying to be a good father figure to Jack. However, Jack wants nothing to do with him. In order to survive, Jack, Skinner, and Evan drive through the nice suburban neighborhoods looking for open garages with pantries so they can steal food. They raid one garage pantry and leave a dead cat they found in the street in the house's dryer, and then they spray paint TR on the fridge before heading out. They try one more house and grab some frozen items, but the owner of the house catches Jack, and they fight until Evan grabs a fire extinguisher and sprays the homeowner, and they escape, laughing the whole way home. The guys end up stopping at a yard sale in the same town and ask one of the women if they have any vibrators, which does not go over well, as you can imagine. Also, the two guys who were shooting the stray dogs also happen to be at the yard sale and chase them off. The thing that I really enjoy about this film, besides being a snapshot in time, is how the film isn't afraid to spend time on scenes that traditionally don't move a plot forward, per se. For example, that night you just see the group of kids talking about random things, or just simply joking around. You get these little insights, like how Sheila tried to kill herself, but this comes secondhand through a conversation, or we hear about Razzle's home life, things like that. Jack and Evan decide to watch a bit of TV and then find out from the news that there was a major car accident in which Evan's mom was drunk driving and was arrested. Jack and Evan decide to go to Evan's mom's house. Evan's little brother, Ethan, is at the neighbor's house and they take him back to the TR house. Once back at the house, the girls give Ethan a mohawk, much to his delight. 
Again, the enjoyment I get from this film are the random scenes. For example, having the TRs walking as a group in slow motion through the nice neighborhoods to the horror of the residents. Or at night, they decide to steal rolls of freshly laid sod and grass and then roll them out at an empty electronics store at a strip mall and that has televisions playing throughout the night through the security gates. And they sit on the grass while watching TV. During all of this, Joe and Sheila start to become a couple of sorts. And we find out a bit why Sheila has so many scars on her back. Tell me now. Tell you what. What happened to your back? The victim's 23 miles away from well, the body. My dad used to beat me all the time. That's what I thought you were going to say. I think he was crazy. He would get this look in his eye. And I would know. Uh-oh. Trouble. I'd wake up in the night and he'd be touching me all over. He'd get all turned on, you know? And then instead of actually raping me, he could stop himself by beating me up. Does that make any sense? So all of these kids come from somewhere and none of them were born bad kids. They ended up this way for a variety of reasons. Some adults should never have children, and sadly the majority of these outcast kids were products of adults who should have been sterilized. The TRs go to the punk club where Evan initially met Jack, and they watch the band TSOL perform. The lead singer of the band twirls his mic into the crowd and accidentally hits Skinner in the back of the head. Another kid starts laughing, and Skinner just beats the living shit out of the kid, which causes the band to stop playing. Skinner leaves the club pissed off and is eventually jumped by two non-punks driving around in front of a random neighborhood house. Luckily, the TR guys were walking the same way and jumped in to save Skinner and beat the shit out of the two guys. The fight is eventually broken up when the homeowner comes out with a shotgun and chases everyone away. The TR guys go back to the club thinking that they're done with the non-punks. However, the two guys do show up at the club looking to confront the TRs. And in the middle of the confrontation, one of the guys stabs one of the security guards in the back. By doing this, the two guys are trying to set up the TRs by putting a knife on the wall outside the club that says TR on it. Back at the TR house, the girls of the house gravitate towards Ethan in sort of a motherly way since he's the youngest living in the house. Even though everyone in the house has issues, they all have each other's backs and they care about one another, something they never got from their parents. Aren't you glad finally your turn to sleep in the bed? I sure am. It's kind of like my bed was at home. Bet the sheets were cleaner at home. Ethan, do you miss your mom? Yeah, I kind of do. But I bet she doesn't miss me. Why do you say that? Because she used to always call me a penny in the ass. That's why. Ah, uh, I bet she didn't mean it. You're a real good little kid. All you do is play all day and mind your own business. You're sweet. Have you hugged your kid today? Hi, where were we? Hansel and Gretel. In the morning, the wicked witch grabbed Hansel by the hand and carried him to the shed. She said to Gretel, You must draw water and cook something nice for your brother, and when he's fattened up, I'll eat him. Dear God, Gretel cried. Oh, won't you help us? Stop your blubbering, said the wicked red-eyed witch. It won't do you a bit of good. Every morning the witch would say, Hold out your finger and let's see if you're getting fat. 
and Hansel held out a chicken bone. Oh, come on, don't stop. Betty's asleep. But we're not. Read it to us, come on. Aren't you a little old for fairy tales? Uh-uh, please. As with any group, it's complicated, and the TRs don't do themselves any favors around town. They're stealing and they're spray-painting local businesses, and that will not make friends with the locals. It finally comes to a head at a city meeting that Jack's stepfather, Bill, also attends. And I live over on Heatherton Avenue, which is a nice neighborhood, or at least it used to be. Now all you get are these wild teenagers parading through like a bunch of terrorists. Here, here. Yes. The little bastards were fighting on my front lawn. I had to hold them off with a shotgun while my wife called the police. And it took me over an hour to get through. Yeah, and that's another thing. The police aren't doing a goddamn thing. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, Reverend It just so happens we have a member of the police department with us here tonight. We have uh, reports of vandalism and robbery just like any other city. And we follow up on each and every one of them. Follow up? You came to my house three hours later. Well, we've got a responsibility by law to adhere to certain procedures. Well, while you're going through procedures, people's homes are being ruined by these monsters. Look, I've had to repaint the sidewall of my store five times already. Every time I turn around, there's a TR spray painted on it. What the hell is TR anyway? Sandra says there was a stabbing recently at the club where she was molested and that those same letters were left near the weapon, in blood. Did you investigate that house like you said you would? No, not yet. Typical. You know, Renard, I get the feeling you're not doing your job. And I get the feeling you're using innocent people as scapegoats. Scapegoats? We're talking about a bunch of sickos. Metal rejects running wild in our street. We're talking about kids. Kids like yours and mine. Ha, well, I'm damn sure they aren't my kids. Gentlemen, please, can we be reasonable? I know times are tough and some of you people are up against it. Look, Bernard, if the police can't protect the people, then the people have to protect themselves. And take the law into their own hands? If that's what it comes down to. And use guns to solve your problems. You're damn right. The next day, Bill decides to visit the TR house while off duty and tries to talk to Jack and the kids. Uh, <clears throat> perfect. What are you doing here? I need to talk to you. Well, let's go outside then, okay? No, I need to talk to all of you. What for? Hi. I'm Jack's father. Stepfather. You're a cop. Yes, I am, but that's not the reason why I'm here to talk to you. I hate cops to the max. Listen, you kids are making a pretty bad reputation for yourselves. Last night I was at a meeting and, well, <laughs> just let me tell you, you got people down on you. What happened? Well, you're going to have to listen up sooner or later. I'm not leaving until you do. What do I have to do, for Christ's sakes? Pay you? So 
So I think it's best for all of you to go back to your homes until this thing blows over. You don't seem to understand. Most of us don't have homes to go back to. My parents are dopers, and the state won't even let me go home. All they do is shove me into foster homes. Let me tell you, that sucks big eggs. What do you do here all day? Nothing. Watch TV. Don't you want to make anything of yourselves? What's to make? Well, there's families for one thing. Careers, college. Families. Everyone knows families don't work. College? Most of us couldn't afford lunch in high school. What do you kids do for money? Take bribes off cops. <laughs> Please, Mr. Policeman, don't make us leave our home. We'll be good from now on. We promise. Yeah, this is the best home most of us ever had. Besides, if we didn't have each other, we wouldn't have anything. Look, you're going to have to stay out of trouble. If you don't, somebody's going to get hurt. Everybody's got guns these days, and they're just itching to use them. Do you understand? Let this be the last time I hear of T.R. Maybe we should get guns, too. I already have a gun. Let's just move someplace else. My old else. Gun has a shotgun. Come on. Even seeing this as a film when I was a teenager, I understood both sides. None of the kids trusted adults, and for good reason. On the other hand, not all the adults were out to get them. And in the case of Bill, he was really trying to look out for them. Both sides need to meet halfway, or there's going to be a tragic outcome. All right, there's about 30 minutes left in the film, so I'll leave it here. Look, this film isn't for everyone. It's very raw, and most of the subject matter is very dark. And also, if you're looking for acting like a typical Hollywood film, this is not it. This is almost like a quasi-documentary in many ways. However, if you are a fan of the early 80s punk scene, and I am, or indie films in general, this film might interest you. As for the outcome, well, I can't give anything away, but I will say it fits the tone of the film which is incredibly bleak. All right, some fun facts. The homes where the TR kids live were, in real life, condemned under eminent domain to make way for the Century Freeway, which is Interstate 105 in Los Angeles. It wasn't finished for almost 15 years. The freeway that they eventually built was featured in part of Speed, the movie, in 1994, as the freeway under construction where the bus has to jump the unfinished part. This movie actually influenced Neil Tennant, who was part of the Pet Shop Boys, when he wrote their 1986 hit, Suburbia, even lifting the line Slums of the Future from very early in the film on one of the early singles of this version of the song. All right, we have a special guest, and that is Baco from Cobras and Fire and his great sidecast called Whatever Nevermind, which I just recently appeared on covering the In Utero album for Nirvana. We have a good time talking about that, and then it fit perfectly with the vibe of Suburbia, because as we discuss, the early punk scene kind of morphed into what would kind of become the ethos of grunge, and so there's a lot of similarity there. So if you're into grunge, you may enjoy this film, and you'll definitely enjoy our conversation together. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with uh, Baco from Cobras and Fire. You know him, you love him. He's been on before, of course, for High Fidelity and Grandma's Boy. To- totally, completely different movies, but that's why we <laughs> we like damn good movie memories. Or as Baco affectionately called on on his greatest uh, sidecast, which is called Whatever. Never mind. I think it's Goddamn Movie Memories is what. We- and then it was Goddamn Magic because yeah, Goddamn not? Magic, baby. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's uh, it's almost like goddamn electric from Pantera. But anyway, Baco is back, and I love having him on. And uh, y- yeah, so welcome back. And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, whatever. Never mind, because. I'm not going to say I like it more than Cobras and Fire because that would just be rude, <laughs> but I've been really, really enjoying it. It's been an absolute blast to go through uh, the the greatest, quote unquote, the greatest grunge albums of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's according to Rolling Stone, but I, I felt by doing that, it, it kind of took me out of the equation. Like it wasn't, you know, it, it, it allowed me to kind of like almost be forced to discuss things that maybe I wasn't the, the biggest fan of, according just like the, an episode you recently guested on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and really, when I started it, I honestly wasn't sure I'd finish it. I was like, I because it's not really my cup of tea, the album review thing. Um, it's really more about the interaction with the guests. But it has been a lot of fun, especially getting feedback um, from people like you. It's been received very, very well. And I've had a lot of you know great guests outside of the podcast world come on it. And um, I really I really hope that when it's all said and done, it just it's this kind of standalone testament to uh, a music movement that meant a lot to me and that I think will stand the test of time, but that people can go back to it's timeless. They can, they can go back and listen to these episodes and think, you know, wow, you know, this, there's a lot of really cool, fun insight here with all these different perspectives, you know, someone like you comes in, like you and Josh Toomey were, were, were like teenagers, young teenagers when this yeah. kind of broke. And then, you know, I got, um, I make the joke, it's all different, all variants of white men uh, come on the <laughs> show. But no, but seriously, like, you know, I got someone like John Lamoureux, who's not a fan of the music, but he comes in and, and kind of breaks on a record with me, or someone like, sure. you know, Craig Smith from uh, Pods and Sods, who will just be, he, he can deep dive on Pearl Jam better than almost any human being. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, like I said, like someone like yourself almost adds almost a movie insight. Like we, it comes up in our episode mm-hmm. as people, people will hear that, that you don't get in those unique perspectives. Even like an author, like um, Mark Yarm, who stuck yeah. up for Courtney Love and, and shared uh, a fairly uncommon opinion about her. You know, I just like that. that I, I hope at the end of it, that if someone listens to it, it kind of offers almost like an oral history, like a broad based kind of representation of what it was from the fan to the, to, to the people who made it to. And I think that's exactly what drew me uh, to whatever, Never mind, is because it is a lot like what I do here with uh, damn good movie memories and, and mm-hmm. the getting into the in-depth, um, the super fan of, of a movie. And even if you're not a super fan, even if you've never seen the movie, you might appreciate it more. Uh, you may not love the movie. You may not love the album you're talking about, but I'm still enthralled about the history of it. And uh, I think uh, you, having diverse guests and not the same type of guests was really a great move um, because you're going to get a different perspective. And I'm curious, why don't you like album review type podcasts? I just did. It doesn't do much for me. Um, okay. Fair enough. Uh, I, I want to clarify that. there is. A, I can listen to two people I enjoy talk. Mm-hmm discuss almost anything and and i think if there's something i can bring to the table it's a conversational aspect and so i look for people that that kind of offer that same kind of back and forth not too dissimilar from what i get with lc on cobras and fire i mean when we talk about stuff we're not really breaking new ground but but, what we're offering is our personalities and 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 almost a a connectability insight and that's what i'm going for Mm -hmm. but in general if if it's just it's it's the preparation is kind of boring for me as much as I, I try to get really deep into it and all that stuff and 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 hope 
thankfully, I, I don't let the, the listener down. I, I do try, and I do a lot of research for each episode. Oh, yeah. But that part is probably less fun than it is to, to riff about Vince Neil having a hard time fitting into a swimsuit sometimes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And so th- that, that, that's all I meant by that. Uh, so I wasn't sure how it would go, but, but it's, been, it's been very rewarding you know, on a personal level and hopefully on uh, you know, some sort of historical reference to it without being too grandiose. Well, yeah, it, it is a lot of work to do research, and especially if you want to do it right, because it, it don't half-ass it. If you're going to do it, go all in, and you do. And I, I think uh, the Evergreen, it, it is Evergreen. This is going to live forever, and yeah. I think that's why I like album reviews, because you could download these no matter what and and nothing against the news like but you know band or uh, podcasts that do news uh but you're probably going to get less traffic from those it has a short shelf life where these are going to live forever which which i think is cool yeah no yeah the 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 numbers have that that immediate spike and um the ones that are evergreen do kind of like they just trickle along maybe Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it and let's talk about why you're here. And it's the 1983, possibly 1984, because I'm <laughs> not sure when exactly this came out, because it's very low budget uh, movie called <laughs> Suburbia. And we might as well uh, kick it off with talking about uh, the director, Penelope Spears, and how you got into her. Did you actually see her documentary, uh, Decline of Western Civilization, the original, uh, about the L.A. punk scene first before you saw Suburbia? <laughs> I, I did not actually. I did not see that until I bought the DVD box set. Oh wow! Fairly, fairly recently. When did that come out? I bought that almost as quick as it came out, but that was still what four or five years ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago at all. Yeah. So no, I I knew that the these other uh, versions of the, uh, the, the, the 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 decline existed. I just had never seen them. So um, no, I got into suburbia because I was I, I went through a skateboarding phase and. And that's when my punk rock music influence comes in. Um, and yeah, so I was actually listening to Doc and Rat and Motley Crue, <laughs> as well as like bands like D.I., uh, uh, JFK, that kind of stuff, uh, Dead Kennedys. Okay, so I'm, I'm assuming you first saw this on television, or did you rent it on VHS? Or how, how did VHS, you like and uh, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story there. Uh, sure. I, I rented, oh, fuck, I rented a VCR for Christmas Day or Christmas Eve in '85. Oh, those were and, the days. And and, um, and uh, then we got a VCR for Christmas. So then I went out and spent the very little Christmas money I had to get two VHS tapes. And you you remember you could do recording the two, four, or six hours, right? Sure, of course. So I the three I rented four movies and I recorded all of them. It was uh, Kiss Animalized Live, Runaway. <laughs> uh, and, oh, I'm sorry. I only went to three. Suburbia, and then um, because I was, uh, 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 I had a Kiss pen pal. I found out that uh, one of the late night networks were showing a uh, a replay of Kiss Meets Family of the Park. So those are the ah. four movies that I basically owned from that point on. Um, and you know what I mean as far as to watch. So I have seen those four movies probably a combined, uh, I don't know, fifty to sixty times each. <laughs> so run, I, I'm run away with Tom Selleck. Yes, yeah. Yeah, because of course uh, Gene Simmons is in it. So, oh, I do own that, so I will have you on for that. <laughs> that would oh, be right on. <laughs> uh, yes, that, that's, a, that's a fun one. Ramsey, yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the suburbia, I would like to say to you, Brian, uh, sure. after Luego shithead. <laughs> that's, oh, my God. And so uh, you were listening to hair metal, if we want to call it that, at the time. 
but you you did have the diversity of getting to punk. What what drew you to punk music? Because you they, they are kind of polar opposite. Okay, so the Friends is what you got. Well, no, actually, yeah, Friends drew uh, basically exposed me to it. And okay, and I it's it's very there is a lot of similarities uh, in punk and even hair metal, and that is kind of kind of more the hook. Like I I don't really like that hardcore stuff as much. I more I, I, I do enjoy more that Sex Pistols kind of vibe where there's like songs with a, a standard structure just played a little looser um, and, and with with melody and and you know that that hook. So if we if we go back to uh, Decline of Western Civilization when you finally saw it, which of the three um, do you appreciate? Do you like the most, and which one do you enjoy the most? Because uh, you might enjoy the second one the most, but I, <laughs> I think most people agree that the first one is kind of kind of groundbreaking the way she she filmed that all right yeah i guess i'd agree with that but i it that that's that's a very good point i really hadn't thought about you kind of but i to me it's always going to be two okay just because uh, seeing you know ozzy you know making eggs yeah uh, but you got a really good point there that was that was it is what put her on the map correct absolutely this is yeah it's two years before suburbia okay so yeah, so her uh, this, this was her shot. This is incredibly a low budget film, um, <laughs> and, and I think that's why it works because shows up you, in casting. Oh, definitely, um, and which which is fun because if you're a fan of music and uh, and you know about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you get to see Flea in a very very early phase. Yeah, what's uh, I, no, I didn't know that at the time, and actually, yeah. I because oh man, I probably I, I watched this movie about two years ago. Okay, for the first time since my teen years. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I realized at the time. I, I never put it together. But isn't he called something like Mike B. the Flea? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how he goes okay. by. And there's some fun, doing research for this this movie. He was talking about the time. Yeah, I'm in this new band called the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and and uh, he was really kind of hyping at the time because I if I if memory serves me correct, uh, like their debut album came out in '84, I think. So this is yeah, he definitely early on nobody knew him yet, but they. They uh, could kind of see a burgeoning musician. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that weird pet rat that he carries around. Oh, yeah, and his name is Razzle, which uh, if we look at Hanoi Rocks and, uh, mm. yeah. But uh, so we go back to the low budget. And I, I personally, I think if you had studio backing and this had been uh, a higher budget film, I think it would have ruined the film because it would have had that polish. <laughs> and uh, and th- there's no polish in this. Uh, watching this now, how, how do you feel about it? And uh and do you like the low budget feel of it? I do, but it, more in a good hurt way. Like it's not like <laughs> you you said it's a good movie. I don't know that I would agree with that, but I, I just being objective is sure. all I mean there. But I still enjoy it. I, I like I watched it this morning in preparation for this, and like I said, I watched it a ton of times. There's so many of those. Like the script isn't that good. Mm-hmm. The the dialogue isn't that good, but there's so many of those little tiny moments that are just like these kind of flashes of brilliance that that are almost I don't know. And some of them are like like when the guy comes home and sees his dad naked on the floor with another man and then walks right. away. Right. Uh, the story of the wild dogs. <laughs> uh, the the guy talking about how his dad his stepdad is kind of a dick, and he's like, "Man, your stepdad sounds like a dick." He's like, "That's not the worst of it." He's black, right? Yeah, I just, right. And, and and I'm not selling it, but it, it's done in such a comedic way. But uh, I don't know. There's there's so much fun things about this movie. Like, um, you know, the the speech the older brother gives the little brother when he's leaving. 
right in the driveway there is just so stupid and it's so good yeah it's yeah. Just, just don't worry about it <laughs> yeah the acting yeah don't get me wrong the, the acting they found real kids to, to or you know to to do this so there's no real acting chops here i think the only real actor they have was um the stepdad the the officer who plays uh, jack's uh father yeah stepdad uh but i think it's it's good quote unquote good in the sense of it kind of does portray those gutter punk kids of that era and then once you see uh the third decline of western civilization movie those kids are a lot like those kids from the early 80s and so um i wouldn't call it's not a documentary but it it, it almost feels like it at times yeah i mean uh, do you want to talk about the premise a little bit that uh sure basically there's some suburban development that was abandoned Right. Uh, and uh, so you have these runaways that are into punk rock music and uh, they all like live in one house, which is really weird, don't you think? Because there's like 50 houses. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> why are they, they're all like, you get the bed tonight? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, <laughs> well, damn it, Baco. Why are damn. you thinking? Why are you getting into the plot? Why are you getting into the. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never definitely didn't think about it back at the time, but no. yeah. Then the antagonists or the uh, unemployed just got laid off from the auto factory. White right. guys who uh, also have a penchant for shooting dogs. Yeah. You think about how the film starts. It starts horrifically and, and kind of campy since uh, if you look at the little girl who ends up getting mauled by the dog, it's definitely a doll. Um, <laughs> but, but it makes I mean, it's like crazy. I mean, it's like, what, what the hell is this? And I think that's what drew me in when I first saw it on, on television. I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. Good and Was bad. Was this in the theater? Because even the, the 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 Amazon copy is letterbox. I mean, it's a uh, I'm sorry, not letterbox, full screen. Full screen, yeah. And so it's possible, David. Maybe it had like um, a limited release, maybe in L.A. Um, but yeah, that's and, and Roger Corman apparently did this movie. I, I just that name stuck out to me watching it this morning. Morning that he's a. He's a fairly notable name, right? Oh yeah, he he financially backed it, so uh, he got he he backed it from. I mean, Spears was was definitely the director, and she had creative control. Uh, but he would do that with a lot of filmmakers. His whole thing was make as many movies as possible. You just do it on the cheap. You stay within budget, and you get it out. And uh, and she did. So <laughs> uh, that's he was he was known for that. Uh, and also in the film, I mean, as as kind of campy and 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 horrific as the dog scene is. Uh, it's kind of crazy watching the the initial club scene and and the woman who basically gets her torn or clothes torn right off her. Yeah, the um, this is exactly what white women in small town America worry about uh, happening. The <laughs> yes. club scene, like where the guy goes up to the uh, the main character who had just ran away from home. He's like like oh, I'm he he runs away from home and the first thing he does is accidentally wind up at this club right. of, of punk rock music and then like the guy walks up hey man you want to buy some drugs I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like is this an after school special and yeah. of course he mickeys his drink and he yeah. ends up passed out on the floor in his own vomit and uh so in, in its own way and it, it's uh yeah it and is, the girl who gets her clothes ripped off all she can do is scream not cover her tits Right. And oh, of course. Go nowhere. Uh, <laughs> but that's Roger Corman. I think that was the Roger Corman thing. It's like you need a fight and what you get like every I think every 15 minutes there's some sort of fight uh, or, or nudity. Yeah. So whether uh, it be female or male. So we'll get into the, the actual uh, music. And you would think that there would be more bands in this, but there really there aren't. I mean, it's basically oh, D.I. Sure, basically. Yeah. And, and uh, T.S.O.L. And, and the Vandals uh, of those. Which ones do you prefer? Do you like any of those guys? 
Uh, I like them all. Um, I've always dug that song, Richard Hung Himself. Uh, and, and later on, uh, Slayer brought it Slayer, back. yeah. But uh, that the, would probably be, the, the out of those, the biggest one. So. Okay, so if we if we go back to the original, like, early 80s uh, L.A. punk bands, what, what are some of your faves? Oh, like I said, uh, it was definitely JFK, uh, okay. Black Flag. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think here. Boy, you're really tapping me. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's another big one I'm forgetting. Um, well, the Circle Jerks. Yeah, they weren't really it. Oh, DRI, but they were, yeah. they, they kind of crossed over into uh, hardcore. They did. Um, but, yeah, and then I really... It, that are not LA, uh, but they kind of precursored all that stuff. Uh, was uh, um, uh, the, uh, shit, <laughs> just the Sex Pistols. Oh, of and, and 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 Misfits uh, are are East Coast, but uh, I, they're probably my favorite punk band of all time. And did did you dig Fear? No, not really. But uh, I I didn't get a chance to hear much of them. I mean, you got to remember, I was living in Owatonna, Minnesota, pre-internet. Okay. Uh, so uh, the, the, my exposure was largely limited to what my friends who had people that could drive them to the Twin Cities uh, had. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff, I mean, I just took in what I could get. Sure, sure. Oh, Husker Du. And, oh, yeah, of course. And uh, later on, The Replacements. Yeah, yeah. Uh, getting into the actual uh, uh, quote-unquote actors in the film, uh, who, who is your favorite character in the film? Mine actually happens to be the stepfather. I think he's it's kind of underplayed. He I, he actually was a real actor, uh, but I liked his <laughs> his character. Maybe I like him more now that I'm adult and I could have a, a you know a stepkid who who doesn't get it. But he he wasn't a bad guy, and he actually no, he actually that. tried right. Like yeah, he was trying to, a lot. Um, I like the stepson. Would be okay, my so, favorite character, the, so the guy who owned the car. Yeah. yeah he, um, but you know what? Actually, I you know that, that the kid with the gay dads. Uh huh. I liked his dad. Uh, oh, I like the I like the fact that he was almost accepting of his son. He's like, oh, running away again, huh? I don't even get a goodbye. In other words, as much as that like kind of seems snarky, there's like a level of like you know you're welcome back in that comment. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And he just didn't he didn't get it. He was too young to to be mature enough to understand probably what his dad was going through at the time, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously this isn't something you would have really revisited unless I I didn't bring it up to you. So, yeah, yeah. to a certain extent, like I said, like when I saw it was on Amazon a couple years ago, I'm like, holy fuck. So I pulled it up and I started watching it and uh um, Amy's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, oh, this movie's great. And I'm like, you gotta hear the story about the dogs. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, so when she I, saw me watching it this morning, uh-huh. I was like, is this the one where the, they all live in some kind of abandoned house? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Talking about it later today. Well, that's a, that's the thing. I, I'm glad they didn't go the traditional Hollywood route. It's, it's without giving away, it's not a happy ending. It's a pretty, pretty <laughs> oh, depressing no airing. Uh, for depressing era and maybe that's why i kind of uh, connected to the grunge in many ways because uh a- any light then there's there's pretty much darkness throughout this film um do you what would you have changed if you if you could have gone back and and redone the plot or the story would you have added anything yeah. to make it better for, in your eyes probably not um i'm actually a really big fan you know, as much as i like to poke holes mm-hmm I'm a big fan of of just the low budget when it's done right, which this is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just so enjoyable. Like I said, to me, it's not so much about the the, the acting or, or 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 the script. It is really more about those little moments and and the representation of, of certain things. And you know what? Is as much as they dumb it down and and water it down, it does represent some of the 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 simplicity of youth. Sure, but, but it also tries to send a message of like, isn't it like? Like everything on TV is violent and war, and uh, we all turn into drones. There's kind of like this under this this, this subtext throughout the movie, right? Um, but also like we should we should learn to try to understand people that we don't understand it, and at least accept them, and, and not try to bully them and kick them into this kind of a oblivion that kind of deal. Right, and 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 really, they weren't harming anyone except when they were trying. They were trying to steal food from the the freezers yeah. in suburbia. So yeah, that I awesome. thought that, it was. And and as a kid, I definitely w- was laughing at that and and whatnot. But as, as an adult, I could see. Yeah, I'd be kind of pissed if some kid was trying to steal. You know, ask me first. <laughs> of I might have, yeah, I might have given you something. Like, get the fuck out of my garage. Exactly. And then they beat the shit out of one guy. So it's like you know, like if you just asked me, I would have given you something. But yeah. That there's that small moment of misogyny when they come home with all the food. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know where they dump it all out, and the women are all like, "Oh, look all the food!" And they're yeah. like, they're looking like, "Ah, oh, these chicks," and they all crack a beer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. There's definitely uh, for as uh, as welcoming as they are. There's there's that that tone that they can't get rid of. Yeah. Uh, uh, what did TR stand for again? That were they were called the TR boys or something like that? Oh, but, I, I believe it was a rejected. There we go. Yeah, yeah, which uh, which totally makes sense. Uh, so you would recommend this, and definitely if you're if you're a fan of just um, '80s nostalgia, I think, uh, and a different side of '80s nostalgia. Absolutely, and, and and if you're a fan of kind of campy movies, this is definitely there. It's 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 one of the better done movies on a low budget. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would, I would put this up there with Night of the Comet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and actually, I think anyone that. Um, knows Wayne's World and uh, and sees and tries to go back and look at uh, Penelope Spears's movies uh, and see this they they might not get it but I think if you knew her where she came from and where where she was really she admits she sold out to do Wayne's World and she has no okay. problem you know saying that so uh, I always thought she was really cool and especially being a female director in a pretty male dominated. Uh, uh, industry, I think that's that's always awesome, especially at that time. Especially at that time, and, and doing something like punk music, which another very heavy male-dominated uh, type of music. Yeah. So again, thank you so much, uh, Baco, and definitely check out Cobras and Fire, and of course, uh, whatever. Never mind. Always a pleasure, Brian. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.